peace be with you this beautiful fall weekend in late September. It has been a week filled with distressing events reported in the daily news, rising COVID numbers, and the palpable fear that seems to be pervading the simplest of conversations as the phrase second wave enters our vocabulary. Still, the extravagant loveliness of the autumn season is not to be denied, a reminder that life is a moving tapestry filled with contradictions, mystery, and always, when we have eyes to see, even in the midst of sorrow, delight. And delight, you may recall Rabbi Heschel teaching, is the Sabbath atmosphere. And any time you are listening to this podcast, you have found yourself in Sabbath time. I am Reverend Dr. Candace Bist, and along with my husband, Bruce Lee, we currently serve the Shelburne Primrose Pastoral Charge, which consists of two united churches in southern Ontario. I am back from a time of rest, and we have a new series of podcasts leading us through the liturgical season of creation and towards the season of Advent. It has been said repeatedly that the only thing that is constant is change. A truth to be sure, but it is not so much fun to be living through a time when nothing seems to be holding steady, when daily the landscape shifts in surprising ways, often revealing ways, and planning more than a week in advance is a thing of the past. But under it all, there are the constants that never leave us. There is the desire to connect one with another in whatever way that is possible. There is the desire for life and the fullness of life that makes for rich experience. There is the desire to avoid the inevitable fragility of being human, knowing that we are but tissue paper wrapped up in the ribbon of hope and, perhaps, courage. There is the desire to love, to be touched by love, and all the many ways it pours forth into the world. So here is a dabbling of gathered treasures to enrich your life this very day, some beautiful music from visiting musicians and composers, reflections on the wonder and power of nature, and narrative and musical scripture readings exposing a faith that is pliable, alive, and full of questions that we may live out the answers, not claim ownership of them. Deep breaths. One of you this week, having experienced a great disappointment, quoted back to me the wonderful words of Julian of Norwich, the words that were the theme of her shoeings, as she called them, or visions, as we might call them. An anchoress living an isolated life in the midst of the Black Plague in England, she experiences Jesus saying to her, And all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well, and so it shall. We begin with Pete Seeger's classic interpretation of Ecclesiastes 3, 1-8, and you may remember I told you that Seeger wrote this song in irritation and angst from a crumpled bit of paper 
he had been carrying around in his pocket to help him make sense of a world that no longer made sense to him. May it help you even this moment to know that there is a time for everything. We are not the timekeepers. We are those who try to learn from the constancy of the tides, the steadiness of the trees, the way of new possibility at the foot of the cross.
Our call to worship this morning is from beat poet and sometime theologian Allen Ginsberg, who released his famous raging rant, Footnote to Howell, in 1956, a wild, noisy outpouring of despair against what he saw as a harsh society that failed to see the holiness in all the ordinary matters. To recognize the sacred in things, ordinary things, is to be part of what is called in religious language the mystic tradition. No doubt Ginsburg would have a thing or two to say about my edits to his work, but it is the Sabbath, and this is a family podcast, and raging rants in the tradition of the many angry psalms can verge on the vulgar, forgiveness asked and hopefully received. Holy, 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 holy. The world is holy, the soul is holy, the skin is holy, the nose is holy. Everything is holy, everybody is holy, everywhere is holy. Every day is an eternity, and every man an angel. The bums as holy as the seraphim, the madman as holy as you, my soul, are holy. The typewriter is holy, the poem is holy, the voice is holy, the hearers are holy, the ecstasy is holy. Holy, my mother, in the insane asylum, Holy the groaning saxophone, holy the bop apocalypse, holy the jazz bands, marijuana hipsters, peace, peyote pipes, and drums. Holy the solitudes of skyscrapers and pavements, holy the cafeterias filled with the millions, holy the mysterious rivers of tears under the streets. Holy, the vast lamb of the middle class. Holy, the crazy shepherds of rebellion. Holy forgiveness, mercy, charity, faith. Holy, ours, bodies, suffering, magnanimity. Holy, the supernatural, extra brilliant, intelligent kindness of the soul. Let us pray. Gracious Creator, the world seems unsteady on its feet these days, moving too quickly in too many directions, without a clear path ahead or a steady pace. It is sometimes frightening to behold. But fear has always been what clouds our vision. Grant that the fog of fear may lift and we will have the courage to peer through the darkness until we have found illumination. Above all, grant grace to those who stumble, to we who stumble and who find fault with ourselves and others. Your mercy, as Julian well knew, is abundant and everlasting 
Let us not dwell too long on the pains we have caused ourselves and others and that leave us crippled. May our steps be steady in the darkness and the illumination to come be a shared vision for all people. May it be so. Amen. So, last Sunday afternoon, Bruce and I hosted a concert in our garden, which was wonderful. Some of you may remember Nathan Smith, who has played a concert at Trinity with the Barrel Boys, and has also come to play with Bruce at a couple of fundraisers at Grace Tipling Hall. Nathan has been doing some recording with traditional fiddler and composer Emmeline Stamm this last year, along with clarinetist John David Williams and bassist and poet Alan Mackey. And there they all were, gathered in the late afternoon on our back patio in the crisp autumn air, and they enchanted us all. I was thinking as they offered up their splendid array of musical gifts of our theme from last week's podcast, Love is the Conduit to the Miraculous. We were talking about love in the context of Mary weeping outside of Jesus' tomb. But love comes in many forms, and the thought still applies. For as Nathan, Emmeline, Alan, and John gently tossed us treasure after treasure from their collective and carefully curated bag of goodies. It seemed nothing short of miraculous that we should sit there in the beauty of the setting sun and be the fortunate recipients of all the love they had poured into their calling. It was perhaps the easy grace with which they gifted us so seemingly unaware of the potency of presence that they created. In between songs, they spoke of places they had gone to ferret out century-old scores of rondeaus, bourrées, waltzes, and mazurkas. And I wondered at the love they hold for their life's work and the sacredness of all they did and all they offered. We talk often about spiritual practices, anything done with love and intent and a desire to see beauty within this world and within ourselves is a spiritual practice, a sacredness. To be receivers of another's spiritual practice is to be blessed by it. So here, with their permission, is a tune called Honeywood, written and performed by Emmeline and John. They have been much blessed by the community near Honeywood and offer this lovely waltz as a thank you to the area that inspired its creation. Close your eyes and imagine a garden with real musicians playing for your pleasure. Thank you. 
so sweet. This last week, you will have noted that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the celebrated and much-loved American Supreme Court judge, has been lying in state, accolades pouring in from those who knew and worked with her and those who simply watched from afar as she followed her lifetime calling to administer justice. Born into the Jewish faith, Ruth took early exception to the rules of her tradition. The ever-thoughtful folks at Salt drew this to my attention, that when Celia, Ruth's mother, died of cancer just two days shy of Ruth's graduation from high school, Ruth was not allowed to pray the mourner's prayer for her mother, because in keeping with Jewish custom in those days, only men could be counted as part of the quorum, a rule since changed in both Reform and Conservative Judaism. Ruth was both broken-hearted and outraged, 
and as a result felt alienated from synagogue membership for most of the rest of her life. But Ruth was born and bred on the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures, and hanging on the wall of her court chambers was a quote from Deuteronomy 16.20. Justice, justice, only justice you shall pursue. Here in our first scripture reading is the larger context of that brief phrase. It comes after the Jewish people have been freed from slavery and are setting up their new community of faith. You shall appoint judges and officials throughout your tribes, in all of your towns, that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall render just decisions for the people. You must not distort justice. You must not show partiality. And you must not accept bribes, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. Justice, and only justice, you shall pursue, so that you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Ruth Bader Ginsburg made a great effort in her life to uphold that scripture. She may not have always been popular, her decisions not always applauded, but her internal compass was set true north, and she did not deviate from her devotion to bringing justice to those who were without advocates in the halls of power. Her presence on this earth will be missed. The scriptures are rich in wonder at the natural gifts of this earth. Our response, seen well in the Psalms, is to be awe and wonder. Everything God wishes to teach us can be found in a toadstool, though we so often crush it under our feet without notice. When we do notice, we have entered the land of the miraculous. For just as love is a conduit for the miraculous, so is wonder and awe. the sparrow, God of the whale, God of the swirling stars. How does the creature say, ah? How does the creature say, praise? God of the earthquake, God of the storm, God of the trumpet blast. Does the creature cry woe? How does the creature cry sing? God of the rainbow, God of the cross, God of the empty grave. How does the creature say grace? How does the creature say thanks?
hungry, God of the sick, God of the prodigal. How does the creature say, care? How does the creature say, life? scripture this week for our reflection. It's from the lectionary. Matthew chapter 21 verses 23 to 32. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued one with the other. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the heaven of God instead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but... The tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. What is this changing of the mind that Jesus speaks about? What is this belief that Jesus refers to? In both the riddle that he poses to the elders and the parable he tells, the idea of turning around and changing directions is central. The repentance in John the Baptist's teaching is this same journey. Repent simply means to change direction, to turn around. It was a simple teaching, 
born in the spirit of the Hebrew faith into which both of them were born, though at the time the two young cousins, John and Jesus, lived, that core idea had become distorted. It called upon people to be on a continual journey of exploration and renewal. It saw the spiritual aspect of life as wandering, unfolding, a narrative of discovery. Think on your own spiritual life. Is what you now hold to be true and important the same as those things you held to be true as a child? I am hoping that some things have held steady, but other details perhaps of your life of faith have altered, been reevaluated, reconsidered. I am hoping they have been enlarged. When you look at this scripture, you see movement, the winding road. According to the way that Matthew has laid out his gospel telling, this particular scripture comes after the Palm Sunday parade as we know it, and after Jesus has turned the tables upside down in the temple. He has disrupted the endless flow of cash that is flowing through the temple on the week of Passover and will end up largely in the pockets of the chief priests and their municipal counterparts, Pilate, and his Roman court. Somebody's head is going to roll. Trouble is on the way. And so it is the chief priests who come to Jesus and say to him, By what authority are you able to do this? They, the chief priests and elders, are the ones that hold authority amongst the Jewish people, not some itinerant preacher with a ragtag group of followers and a bad temper. Jesus responds with a thought exercise. He is pressing them to think. He is hoping, perhaps, that they can find it within themselves to think outside the neat and tidy box of self-preservation and institutionalized temple thinking that has come to represent the once vibrant Hebrew tradition. But they cannot. They are only able to spend their effort trying to figure out the answer as though it were a riddle to trap them, to catch them at their own underhanded game. Jesus is not interested in trapping them. He has no need. He is trying to enlighten them. He is trying to get them to explore new possibilities outside the dualistic thinking in which they are trapped. We often refer to morals in the Christian faith, but Jesus did not teach moral codes. In fact, he broke most, if not all, of the moral codes and rules of the culture in which he lived and was quite content to leave the Decalogue just as it had been written sometime earlier. Rules for living happily in community, you might call the Ten Commandments. Jesus was not interested in saddling people with more rules. That was already well in play with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He wanted people to reconsider the way things were. 
He wanted them to be people of faith, not a faith that bound them to a particular code of ethics, not a faith that bound them to a particular doctrine and created clubs of those inside the neatly defined box and those outside it. He wanted everyone to have a little faith in the goodness of things, in the mercy of God, in the largesse, the expansiveness, the generosity of the great spirit that is always revealing new ways of being, new understandings of what it means to be human, new ways of understanding what is divine. He wanted them to have a faith that existed outside particular buildings, outside specialized ritual and language. He wanted them to consider his thoughts, not because he knew more than they did, but because he was willing to question what no longer felt like truth, even if it was taught by his elders even if it was said to be sacrosanct. I wonder how the narrative might have gone had the chief priests been less interested in the complicated flow of goods and money from the people to their own coffers and the defense of an oppressive system of government held in place by the violence inflicted by the Roman army should anyone question the status quo, and been a little more interested in the welfare of others and of themselves. Might they not have been able to really listen to what Jesus was teaching and heard that he was calling them to unburden themselves from the evil in which they were entrapped, calling them to simply turn away from the dark path down which they were headed and which kept them separated from others. Separation, our separation from one another, separation from the natural world and its generous spirit, separation from the divine force that flows freely among us is always the evil that is afoot. We have faith when we see evil for what it is. And instead of drawing back, turn to find the goodness and the grace and the love beating in the heart of the other. This is faith. And it makes a fear a plaything easily tossed aside that we might dwell in the infinite richness of the sacred. May we have the faith of our wise anchoress, Julian of Norwich, who, surrounded by the death of the Black Plague and facing her own personal death, had a heart fluid enough to receive the message of faith which held her steady the rest of her life. All will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. This is what faith sounds like.
spot Have a little faith in me As there was last week, there will be an indoor service at Primrose United Church this Sunday, September 27th at 10 a.m. Please come early so as to observe all the protocols that have been put in place in order that we can gather. Trinity is planning on offering site Sunday worship on Thanksgiving weekend. But as always, we will be following the provincial regulations, and if there is any change in status around gathering in church buildings, we will post that on our website. Your search committee continues to work hard to find a new minister for the new year, and we offer them our constant support and prayers as they search for the new leadership here at Shelburne Primrose. I have seen and heard in conversation here and there this last week the kindnesses you have been offering, the gentle words of encouragement you share with one another. This is the way forward in gentleness and goodness and grace. The smallest of gestures can have huge import, and you know this well from your own lives. 
So I offer you in closing a very tender little prayer from the Christian Celtic tradition. And I leave it to Nathan to send us all on our merry way with a tune he wrote called Market Day from his newly released CD, Let It Rest, Let It Rise. The band that played for us on Sunday are all avid sourdough bread makers. I managed to snag some of Nathan's sourdough starter. And following in the traditional way, Nathan has incorporated his life into the life of this song. Nathan, Emmeline, and Alan are playing on this tune, along with Hannah Shira Naiman on banjo and vocals, and Anne Fung on mandolin and vocals. Bruce and I thought the style of this tune really suited the area in which we live. So, thank you to all, and blessings to all, this week and in the weeks to come. Dear Lord, give me a few friends who will love me for what I am and keep ever burning before my vagrant steps the kindly light of hope. And though I come not within sight of the castle of my dreams, teach me to be thankful for life and for time's olden memories that are good and sweet. And may the evening's twilight find me gentle still. Let it rest, let it rise, every little good 
bread on market day. Little banjo while I wait Waiting for the bread on 